Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for taking the time to give us a listen today. We really appreciate it. We know it's a busy time of the year. This is episode number 32 of The Next Track, and it's brought to you by Soft Torino, the makers of Walter 2. Walter 2 helps you transfer virtually any media files onto your iOS device without iTunes. I've got more to say about Walter 2 a little later in the show. Right now, we're happy to welcome back one of our favorite guests, the founder of ComputerAudiophile.com, where hi-fi and high-tech converge, Chris Conacher. Chris, it's great to see you again. Great to see you guys. We're delighted to have Chris back again because Chris is one of these people who can help us understand some of these more obscure audio gadget things. We've gotten a lot of requests from our listeners who are interested in finding out what a DAC is. A DAC, that's an abbreviation, D-A-C, is a digital analog converter. We thought we'd get Chris here because he knows everything about DACs. And so we want to discuss what is a DAC? Do you need one? How does it work? Do you need more than one? Should you mortgage your house to buy one? Is it more important to have an expensive DAC or a cheap DAC? Can you juggle DACs three at a time? (laughs) So Chris, let's start with a simple definition. What is a DAC, a digital analog converter? What is it and what does it do? Yes, yes. So at a very basic level, I think of it as people can only hear analog. And if you think of that, then if you have digital anything and you want to hear it, you need a digital to analog converter. So music from iTunes, any streaming service, that's all coming through digital. And somehow you need to turn that into analog sound waves for your ears to hear it. And this is even the case for CDs, which are digital. Yep. Any digital music, you either need a DAC or you have a DAC and you don't need it, or you have one and you know you have one. Uh, So yeah, anytime you want to turn anything digital into analog, you have a DAC. And the same goes for televisions. Yeah. When you're watching a movie on Netflix, the sound is going through a DAC. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, So everybody needs a DAC. Uh, unless, of course, you maybe can't hear, then you probably don't need one. But other than that, yeah, everyone needs a DAC uh, to convert digital to analog. So the way you're describing it, we all probably have lots of DACs all over the house. Yes, yes, exactly. Everyone has DACs all over the house, most likely. Uh, And the most common DAC probably in the world is in your phone. Most calls you're making, well, probably every call, unless you're still on an analog phone. I don't think they, you know, even allow those anymore. Uh, Everyone's phone is sending a digital signal and your phone is converting it uh, into analog. So there's a DAC in your phone. Even if you're not listening to music, there's a DAC in your phone. Right. So that's a good point you're making. When we're talking about DACs for hi-fi and for music... That's one thing, but DACs are everywhere. They're, they're a commodity. They're, they're just another chip in a device, and they're used for many things other than music. Yeah, exactly. And there's even DAC chips used in guided missile systems. I mean, Wait, there's what? DACs everywhere. What? Guided missile systems? Yes, yes. Uh, I have a DAC made by Shit Audio, S-C-H-I-I-T, and they use a DAC chip. I thought that chip. was going to be a joke there, but go on. <laughs> they have a DAC chip that was initially specced for missile guidance systems. Um, and they repurposed it because it is incredibly accurate. There's no rounding off of numbers or anything. It's uh, just everything's right on. So they repurposed it for audio. Would my smoke alarm have a DAC in it to make that shrill sound? Ah, uh, good question. Yeah, I would say it does. It probably stores the sound digitally. Yeah. On a little chip. 
and then converts it into analog so you can hear it. Wow. Okay. This is interesting. So what? Let, let's go into the realm of music and hi-fi right now. What does a DAC do? And let's just start talking about the DACs that are in devices we have, and then we'll talk about the DACs that people buy to add onto a, a hi-fi system later. So what exactly does it do when it's converting music or sound from digital to analog? So at a basic level, the DAC is taking digital information, uh, ones and zeros, and converting that into voltage or pressure that then goes through probably a mini amplifier and then through a loudspeaker. So all of this is contained within your phone. And one, one thing I like to point out to people, this is not a continuous stream of data, but it's like frames in a movie. And, and we're used to, what is it, 24 frames for a movie, the standard sample rate. The term we use in music is sample rate, and the standard sample rate is 44,100 samples per second. So a DAC is making this conversion 44,100 times per second, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, I don't want to say a minimum because there's certainly less than that. And there's a lot more than that. You know, I mean, DACs now, whether they're, whether it's used or not, will go up to 384,000. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's all built into the DAC chip. And probably a DAC that's just for a phone that's not playing music is probably using a lower sample rate because the lower sample rate allows less data to be sent over the network, making it more efficient. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. The, the DACs in phones are probably locked in at 44.1 or 48 because movies are all based on 48. So probably that. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to an interesting article I once found that explains why the 44,100 hertz sample rate was chosen. It had something to do with Umatic VHS tapes at the time, and that this corresponded somehow to the number of frames on the tape. The 48,000 for film somehow corresponds to the 24 frames per second, something like that. It's confusing. So we've all got these DACs. They're all over the place. But what was it about 10 years ago, people started buying DACs as a hi-fi component? Yeah, yeah. It was about 10 years ago there. Well, if you, you can you can go back further than that and think of there when CD players were out, hi-fi companies like to split those into two pieces. There was a transport that spun the CD and then there was an external DAC. So, you know, you could get a better transport or a better DAC without replacing the whole thing. And yeah, like you say, about 10 years ago, people started to get kind of back into DACs and connect them mainly to their computers. That was kind of the big push for manufacturers to come back out with DACs. So do people start buying outboard DACs because the DAC inside their computer is not as good as it could be? Oh, very good question. This is, yeah, I'll, just, I'll even say it again. Very good question. Uh, because, so there's only a few companies that make DAC chips. So most of the chips, say in your computer, in your phone, in a hi-fi device, are very, very similar. The When it comes down to performance, it's all about how they're powered, the power supply, and it's about analog outputs. So when they're making your computer or your phone, they're, you know, they're trying to hit a price point, like, you know, most people are making a product, but since it's not a sound first type of item, it can be, it, you know, when you're looking to cut back, okay, maybe we won't power the DAC with, a linear power supply. God forbid, put one of those in a computer. That would be crazy. Um, but, you know, they, they cut back there. So the DAC chip itself is very similar in a computer versus a hi-fi component. 
Oh, so what you're saying is is that it's not so much the chip that makes a difference, but it's all the rest that goes around it. Because, because you, I, I noticed that when you do look at specs for DAX on, online, you see that I think the most common are Cirrus Logic and Wolfson chips. I know Apple uses Cirrus Logic in, in most of their stuff. But you could take one of those and you could put it in a component case and if you're using a bad power supply and bad output, it's going to sound like crap as opposed to sounding better with, with more expensive components around it. Is that what it comes to? So if you, take, if you take the DAC chip out of an iPhone and give it to even the same iPhone engineers or a hi-fi company and say, make this sound great, they could totally do it. Different power supplies, analog output stages, and it's all, it all comes down to implementation. If sound is your most important thing, you can turn that DAC chip into a great performer. So how good or how mediocre are the, the DAC chips used in iPhones and Macs and Windows PCs and Android phones and all that? Yeah, so the DACs in iPhones are actually really good. Um, but, you know, the, the DAC, I'll say the DAC chips are really good, but when it comes down to implementation, they're so limited by power, that battery yeah. has to last a whole day. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're just limited to what you can do, but... You know, uh, spec-wise, the DAC chip is very, very good. So about 10 years ago, as people started listening to more and more digital music, they started realizing that they could improve the sound by adding an external DAC to their computer, essentially as an intermediary between the computer and their hi-fi system, their amplifier. I got my first DAC around then. I got a review unit, and I was actually quite blown away by the quality of the sound with the DAC. It was a Cambridge Audio DAC Magic. I think it retailed for about five or six hundred dollars at the time. Now DACs have become relatively commonplace. You can buy DACs for thirty bucks from FIO, or you can buy DACs for. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you review one on your website a year ago that was eighty-five hundred dollars or something? Oh, that would be just a regular Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that price is you know, fairly normal in the, you know, when you look at the really high end, uh, if I look at my audio system right now, there's one that I believe is about 25,000. Um, and you know, they just keep going up. Um, you know, one of the best digital companies, uh, in the world is DCS based in Cambridge, uh, in the UK. And I believe their top of the line deck is a Vivaldi two probably sells, I think for 35, 36,000. And that's, just the DAC piece, and they also use an external clock, and it's digital taken to as far as you can possibly take it. So, yeah, you can go from $30 to, you know, tens of thousands. I recently heard from a company named MSB, which is about 80000 but, I, you know, it's... I'm going to avoid making a value judgment on people who spend that much on a single piece of audio equipment. Let's look at a more sane range of prices. So, if you can get a DAC, say... I think Fio has those little DACs that you can use either with a laptop or a, a, a desktop computer, USB DACs, right? They're maybe 20 or $30. Fio's a Chinese company. You might remember that I mentioned a decent little $30 interface from Behringer. Oh, yeah. Uh, an episode or two ago that gives you optical out and RCA ins and outs from a USB port. If we're looking at the average range of prices, let's say, you know, starting at the low end, $20, $30, up to a few hundred, what sort of a difference is there in that price range between the cheapest and the more expensive ones? Yeah, so uh, that's a very good question. So I'll kind of back up too when you were talking about people first started getting DACs to yeah. you know, maybe improve sound. They also started getting DACs for different sample rate supports. So 
If yeah. your internal DAC in your computer was stuck at supporting 44.1 or even locked at 48, uh, you needed an external DAC that supported new high. Remember when high resolution was brand new? It just came yeah. out. Um, and people were like, I want to play 2496 files. How do I do that? Well, my computer resamples, so I need an external DAC. So differences in external DACs, you know, a lot of them can be down to what sample rate is supported. I'll put a link in the show notes to a show that Chris did with us explaining high-resolution music, and it'd be good to listen to that again if you have any questions about this. But yes, I remember that the DAC Magic that I got, I believe, went up to 96. It was the first generation, and I think after that, they went up to 192 with later generations. Let's take a short break here, and we will continue our conversation with Chris Conacher from ComputerAudiophile.com about DACs in just a minute. If you've got a wide and varied media library, you've no doubt noticed that Apple apps don't recognize or support every format. And you can't play FLAC audio or MKV video or read some text formats on your iOS device. Well, let me tell you, you need Walter 2 from Softarino. Walter 2 lets you transfer pretty much any audio, video, or book format from your Mac to your iPhone, iPad, or iPod. It's really easy to just drag and drop files from your Mac onto the Walter 2 app. It'll then convert any file without any loss to the closest format your iOS device recognizes and then make it available to the proper iOS app. I've been dumping video I've ripped from DVD or recorded on my iTV to my iPad, and I'm really amazed at the great job Walter 2 does. It can even add metadata. Now, if you've been frustrated not being able to listen or watch your unsupported media on iOS, you've got to try Walter 2. Visit thenexttrack.com slash Walter, that's W-A-L-T-R, for more details, and take 15% off the price of Walter 2 by using the code THENEXTTRACK, one word, or TNT. Go to thenexttrack.com slash Walter. Save 15% on Walter 2 with the code THENEXTTRACK or TNT only until January 2nd, 2017. Transfer virtually any media files onto your iOS device without iTunes with Walter 2. Okay, so if you do want high resolution, you need a DAC. There's no, there's no way to get around it. Yeah, you know, if I look at my iMac right now, it probably supports uh, a little bit of high resolution. Uh, let me just click on that built-in. So my iMac will go up to 96, you know, better than it was before. Um, and there's there was also problems of supporting sample rates that were multiples of 44.1, uh, like 88.2 and 176. For some reason, manufacturers didn't support those. And, and the Mac does now. And this, I don't remember when it started supporting them, because I remember a few years ago when I wrote an article for Macworld about high-resolution files, that the you, you want to look in the Audio MIDI Setup app, which is in the Utilities folder in your Applications folder, and you'll see the sample rates it can support. And currently on my iMac, which is two years old, it does 88.2 and 96, but it stops there. Now, if you do have an external DAC connected, the Mac will recognize it and you can choose a higher sample rate for that device. But the internal output goes up to 96. Yeah, that, so you bring up another good point. If you have an external DAC connected, it totally like makes your internal DAC unnecessary for me for that kind of music. So a lot of people think, well, I need this DAC inside, and then I also need this DAC externally, and somehow they work together. It can be kind of confusing if this isn't like what you do, right? So yeah. once you connect an external DAC in and tell the audio to output to the, that external DAC, it makes the internal DAC, in, in essence, go away. You don't really need it anymore. So external DAC, if it supports whatever sample, right, that's what, it's, what your computer now supports. So, and... Also, um, 
kind of touching on differences between decks in what I'll call a normal price range that we can all afford if we don't get it in on a review or something like that, because God knows I could never afford the stuff that's in this system. <laughs> um, I look at some really, really great decks uh, are like the Audio Quest Dragonflies. They, I think they retail anywhere from like $99 to $200, and they plug directly in USB, and the internal design of those is so, so great. They work directly with the microchip company and the way they're powering everything, it's all filtered. And it's just, it's like, how can I take a tiny DAC the size of a USB thumb drive and turn this into incredibly high performance for a reasonable cost? And AudioQuest has done it. It's it's really cool. Does that get its power from the computer? Yes, gets its power from the computer, but it also has a way of filtering that power inside. So it's not like you're sending what could be dirty power all the way to the DAC chip. It's like really cool design. And so last week I was traveling and I connected to my iPhone the uh, Lightning to USB 3 connector. So then I can connect the AudioQuest Dragonfly, but I can also connect a Lightning power cable to it. So the airplane had USB power at the seats. So I could, it was, it's like my dream setup. This is what I bring with me. It's a Dragonfly and a Lightning to USB 3. I can power the device at the same time I listen to music. So, fabulous. Okay, so so what you're talking about is using external DAC on an iPhone, which I, I hadn't realized it was that simple to do. I know that the Lightning Connector puts out digital audio, and in particular, you can buy certain headphones. There are a bunch of headphones that have DACs in the headphones, so they can convert the audio. But I didn't realize you could just plug in a DAC like that. And so the AudioQuest Dragonfly, what does it have, a headphone jack in it? Yeah, AudioQuest Dragonfly, it's USB to a headphone output. And also, you could, as a side point, you can connect a Dragonfly uh, with the volume all the way up, and it'll output two volts to a regular audio system. So if you had a like a eighth inch to RCA, that's a normal DAC. <laughs> so yeah, and they have two models. One even has an analog volume control, and the other has a digital volume control. Um, but yeah, that's my traveling rig is my iPhone with that Lightning to USB and a Audio Quest Dragonfly right out to my headphones. It's tiny, and I can bring it on an airplane. I used to bring around the digital audio players, you know, the portable ones that kind of rubber band onto an iPhone. And yep. I don't know, I'm just kind of over that. To me, those are circling the drain. I just don't have that much of use for them. And plus, I use Tidal on my iPhone, so I offline all kinds of music and I get on an airplane and, you know, it's it's great. Totally love it. So you're, you're basically saying, so, you know, you were talking before about $25,000, $30,000 DAC. You're basically saying that for $100 or $150, you can get a DAC that is, let's say, more than sufficient? Oh, definitely, yes. More than sufficient. Hmm. It's just like, you know, you can buy a used car for $500 or a Ferrari for a million. They will both get you to the same place. Yeah, but they don't sound the same. <laughs> Agreed, 100%. But in in your opinion, as someone who who as in your opinion as someone who reviews this stuff, you're saying that this inexpensive AudioQuest Dragonfly is as good as that. that see, that's a tough call. It's like I could say it's as good as a five thousand dollar DAC. I'm sure there's some five thousand dollar DACs that it's as good as. But to make okay. you know the general statement, right. that's I just can't do that. That's tough. Um, so, but it's definitely more than sufficient for most of the world's population. I think what a lot of people want to know is, well, I'm sure most people just run a cable from their Mac's headphone output and then plug that into an amp or a receiver and 
voila, you've got audio from your computer going into your audio system. But you would probably say that using an external DAC is superior to that arrangement uh, in every way, right? Definitely. That is another awesome question. So people are like, well, if I have a headphone output on my iPhone 6 or 6S, why do I need another DAC? It's got a DAC built in, and it kind of goes back to that other, how we started. Well, when you're building an external DAC, you're making it for sound only, and thus it's really optimized. So yeah, same goes for your computer. If you're using the analog out of your computer versus the analog out of an external DAC, the performance is very, very different. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be totally satisfied with the DAC internally, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I prefer to use an external DAC. Even the $200 or $149 or $99 Dragonflies type, to me, they're much better. So I used to have an outboard DAC, and I changed about six months ago. I chose a different tack. My assumption was that if I buy a receiver that has a DAC in it, that that DAC is going to be probably just as good as a standalone outboard DAC, and that I can use that receiver to convert my digital audio rather than have yet another component in between my Mac and my stereo system. So I bought a Yamaha RN301, which has an Ethernet jack on the back, and I um, play my music from my iMac using AirPlay over Ethernet. What do you think about this approach? And, and this, of course, is the same as if you're using an AV amplifier to do your digital analog conversion. Yes, that's a great approach uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, if you think about it, Yamaha, giant company, they can buy really good DAC chips in mass quantities. So you're getting a pretty good DAC chip in there for not a lot of money. And is, you know, as long as you're getting your audio to the receiver digitally, so you're using Ethernet, awesome. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to work just as good. One caveat is if you used an external DAC, output analog, and put analog into that receiver, unless you set up the receiver correctly, it's going to re-digitize back to digital, use its internal DAC, and then go back to analog. There's what's called direct mode inside receivers that allow you to bypass that extra step. But otherwise, the receivers have all kinds of digital signal processing, or DSP, and they want to take advantage of that. So taking all analog signals in, converting them back to digital, do DSP, then convert it back to analog. That's what normally happens on receivers. But to get back to your question, yes, sending it right to the DAC digital and converting it in there is really, really a great way to do it. So you're saying that if I'm inputting analog audio into this receiver, the receiver converts it to digital and back to analog? So if I'm putting analog audio through RCA plugs on the back, it converts it. Yes, unless you choose what's called a direct mode, or maybe you know certain manufacturers may have a different uh, name for direct mode. It's commonly called direct mode because they think most people want to take advantage of the DSP, whether they know it or not. So if people are using different room modes or different management of sound, sending delays to different speakers in a multi-channel mode, yeah, it's converting it to digital. Okay, you, you've touched on something that's really interesting there, the whole digital signal processing, which I think should be a topic of another show. As you say, there, there are receivers and amplifiers that have the sort of thing that can make music sound like it's being played in a specific room, and some of them even have concert halls. So you can listen to music like it's being played in the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. 
that that'll be something interesting to discuss at a different time. I'm just looking at the manual for this receiver and it doesn't have a direct mode button. My Yamaha AV receiver that's connected to my TV does and I never knew what the direct mode meant. So thank you, Chris. You have enlightened me today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so one advantage that I saw to this solution is that this is an amplifier that cost me 200 pounds. You're easily spending 200 pounds on a standalone DAC. Uh, now, assuming that, as you said, they're getting the DAC tips cheap, they've probably got the power supply good enough for it to be an amplifier. Uh, so why not benefit from that same power supply for the DAC? It seems to me a, a really good option. Obviously, if you've already committed to certain stereo separates, you may not want to change for that sort of reason. So you, you talked about the AudioQuest Dragonfly, which is inexpensive, and we talked about my receiver. What's the next step up for someone who wants a standalone DAC and not the Dragonfly? In other words, something that's going to work with a cable to the DAC and then RCA cables to an amplifier. Can, can you give us, let's say, a couple of recommendations at different price points for people who are just before Christmas thinking they want to buy some new kit? Yeah, yeah. So uh, another really cool piece is the Meridian Explorer. So I believe that's probably around $300. And it also supports the upcoming audio format MQA. So that's a topic for a whole nother discussion. Uh, good or bad, whatever, indifferent. Um, but it's about yeah, $300. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> a little bit bigger than the Dragonfly. Uh, it's got volume control built in. It's got optical output too, if you wanted to do that. Um, so it's a, it's a great piece. I have one here. I use it often. Um, after that, there's a bunch of products from a company called iFi. IFI, they make uh, DACs that will support like every sample rate you would ever want to play and DSD, high rate DSD, uh, really inexpensive, but built really, really well. I just, I, I really like the iFi stuff. Okay. So I, I'm just looking as we talk, the Meridian Explorer is another little device that, that's quite small, plugs in USB. Does it get power from the computer as well? That also gets power from the computer. Okay, and the iFi's are a little bit bigger, but they seem to have um, power plugs in them, so they need to get AC power. W what about something, so the, the first one I had I mentioned was the Cambridge Audio DAC Magic, which was, what would you say, about a quarter of the size of a standard CD player, right? There are lots of DACs in that range as well that, that plug into AC power and all. Any recommendations for that? Definitely, yes. So I'll go back to the company named Shit Audio. Uh, funny name. They, they, must, they must take advantage of that name. They do. They do. They have a very good sense of humor. They don't take themselves too seriously. But talk about a good company. Engineering-wise, these guys have awesome chops. They come, they've been in the hi-fi world for a long time, designed some of the first DACs, use great custom filters, all kinds of it. But their products range from like $50 up to, I think, $2,500. So they have, you know, pick whatever one you want with different features. Um, it's it's one of, I hate to pick, you know, favorites, but it's one of my favorite companies. I totally love what these guys do. I have a couple of their DACs now. Um, and they give you all kinds of options. They even have like B-Stock. If you go out there, oh, I don't want to spend full price. Here, pick a B-Stock model and we'll send it to you. So really, really cool. Great company. It's online sales only. So you're not paying a dealer markup. And it's it's really, really great stuff. Okay, so basically, 
if you like good sound, you should have a DAC. Yeah, that's that's what I'll say. Well, okay. yeah. Well, an external DAC, because as we said in the beginning, you got DACs all over the place. So if you like good sound, you should have an external DAC. You can get something really good for 100 or $200. You don't need to go expensive. What do you get? And, and I don't want to compare with the 25000 the 8000 but... And there's always this, of course, law of diminishing returns in, in audiophile stuff. But w why would anyone want to spend a thousand or two thousand or five thousand dollars on a DAC? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I think what an, kind of the extra things you get with that normally it's going to look very nice. Yeah, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it's going to look very yep. nice. Uh, it's going to have um, most likely long-term support firmware upgrades, all kinds of things like that, which you would expect yep. from a product that you're going to spend thousands of dollars or that even a thousand dollars on. But it's also going to have a really, really good power supply. The power supplies are very expensive and very critical. So it's going to feed the DAC with a very good power supply and good power supplies lower what's called jitter timing errors. So that's kind of a big topic in digital audio, but good power supplies lower jitter um, and improve an analog output. So the good power supply and da some DACs will come with very custom filters. And when you talk about digital audio, you have to have a filter. That's a topic for like seven podcasts. <laughs> it's very, very complex and difficult. Um, but you can get custom filters designed. You can change them for how you like it to sound. Um, but that really can change the sound. Uh, so but overall, I think more than anything, it's when you sit down and listen to it, it sounds different. Whether or not you like it more or it's better or more accurate or whatever, it's just going to sound different. So, you know, that's kind of what you get with when you spend more money. And obviously you can spend triple the amount and get something worse. It's it's all yeah. up to the person. Wow, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much, Chris. So basically, if you don't have an external DAC at a minimum, I would recommend you go for something like this AudioQuest Dragonfly, a hundred dollars or hundred and fifty, just to hear how it sounds. And and if you buy it from Amazon, you get thirty days to return. If you don't like it, send it back. But I think you owe it to yourself if you're playing music from a computer to a stereo system. You owe it to yourself to to sample this to hear how it sounds. Because I, I I mean the first time I heard. Uh, this more than 10 years ago, I was sold instantly. I realized just how important it was. Just one thing, you know, Chris touched on a whole lot of topics here and listeners write us at the next track.com for any of these topics you'd like to learn more about because we can ask Chris to come back because there are a number of topics here that we could go into and, and get some very interesting shows about. So Chris Conacher, thanks very much again for enlightening us once again and telling us all about DAX. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me on, guys. Enjoyed it. Chris Conacher's website is computeraudiophile.com. He's got a great forum section and tons of information on DACs and other audio gear. So check it out, computeraudiophile.com. Once again, thanks to Soft Arena for sponsoring this episode of The Next Track. They are the makers of Walter 2, software that can transfer virtually any media files onto your iOS device without iTunes. And until January 2nd, you can take 15% off the price of Walter 2 by using the code the next track, one word, or TNT at softarino.com. It's only until January 2nd, so you got to hurry. Not much time left. For more details, visit thenexttrack.com/walter. That's thenexttrack.com/w a l t r. Kirk, what's your next track? So, my next track this week is to celebrate a purchase that I made on the day we're recording this podcast. I just scored myself a pair of front row tickets to see Bob Dylan next May. 
And in honor of that, I think I want to choose one of my favorite Dylan albums, which I put on this morning because every time I listen to this, it's like, yeah. It's the 1997 album called Time Out of Mind. It's produced by Daniel Lanois, who is an extraordinary producer and, and has this sort of Daniel Lanois sound uh, of like things wash over you and there's a, a fluidity and a mellowness to it. This marks Dylan's third comeback. Well, second comeback. His, his sort of third act was around this period in 1997. This album is full of some really, really good songs. Love Sick is a serious rock and roll song. Cold Irons Bound is wonderful. The, the last song on it called Highlands is this 16-minute epic. There's an interesting story about Highlands. After he recorded it, someone said to him, Hey, Bob, have you got a short version of that song? <laughs> Dylan looked at him and said, Well, that was the short version. <laughs> Cold Irons Bound won a Grammy for male, Best Male Rock Performance. And what's interesting is Cold Irons Bound, he re-recorded for the soundtrack of the movie Masked and Anonymous in a, in a much punchier version, which I actually prefer the, the second version. A lot of these songs are things that he still does live. Lovesick and Cold Irons Bound are songs that he did live last time I saw him. Who knows what the set list is going to be next year. In any case, Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan, the 1977 album. It's really one of the best of the later Dylan period. What's your next track this week, Doug? Glad you asked. My next track is Streetcore by Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros from 2003. This is Joe Strummer's last album. He died during uh, post-production for the album. In fact, we just passed the anniversary of his death. He died on December 22nd, 2002. Streetcore is full of the stuff that you love Joe Strummer for. It's got reggae and garage rock and world music and scratchy vocals and all the good stuff. There's a fabulous version of Bob Marley's Redemption song on here, which which isn't the sort of thing that anyone can just do a cover of. And also, because he died before its completion, a lot of the vocal tracks are first takes, so there's a raw, unfinished fringiness about the record. But the music is really great. Songwriting, totally awesome. My understanding is that his wife, Lucinda Tate, oversaw getting the thing finished the way he would have wanted it. And anyway, if you like London Calling, you'll definitely appreciate this album for the same sort of intensity and variety. And check out the two previous Mescaleros albums, too. Today, Streetcore by Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.